This is The Ethicist, a podcast from The New York Times Magazine. I'm Amy Bloom, novelist and writer-in-residence at Wesleyan University, and along with my co-hosts, we're going to debate and then answer some of the tricky ethical questions Times Magazine readers send in every week. And let me introduce my co-hosts. Jack Schaefer is a media writer for Politico. Welcome, Jack. Oh, so glad to be here. And Kenji Yoshino, a law professor at NYU. Hi, Kenji. Hi, Amy. Coming up, we'll tackle reader questions about how to help, how much to help, and who pays for the help. And an old favorite of students and teachers everywhere, you say potato, I say plagiarism. Okay, so here's our first question about what happens when we see more than we're meant to. In my prior job, I was responsible for my employer's negotiation of very complex agreements with other companies. The negotiations frequently involved email exchanges of draft transaction documents. In those exchanges, one party would do a red line of the prior draft submitted by the other party, so that the receiver could see what changes the sender required. Then the parties would debate those changes. My company would negotiate as hard as we could on each issue, but we would concede when we feared that further haggling would cause the deal to collapse. Sometimes we would win the point, sometimes we'd lose, but we were always trying to guess what our counterparty's breaking point was. On one instance, when our counterparty sent back its red line, it made a mistake. With a simple click of the mouse, I was able to see text that the other party did not intend me to see. Comment boxes and other evidence of what that company's team members were saying to each other about their negotiating positions. This unintended transparency occurred because the writers clearly did not understand how to use Microsoft Word's track changes functions. I was pretty certain that it was a genuine mistake and not a clever ruse on our counterparty's part. Using this knowledge, I was able to strike a better deal for my employer. Was it unethical to do so? Did I have an obligation to point out to the other company that I had observed their sensitive internal discussions? My first take on this question was the interesting thing to me was that I assumed when I read this that the individual was a lawyer because negotiations were taking place. And so I went to my friend and colleague, Stephen Gillers, who's an expert on legal ethics, and I asked him what the relevant rules would be. And he said that there was a direct rule on point that says that a lawyer who receives electronically stored information relating to the representation of a client who knows or reasonably should know that the information was inadvertently sent, should promptly notify the sender. So my gut instinct, again, assuming this individual was a lawyer, was to say this person should have to notify. And then it was pointed out to me by one of my dear ethicist colleagues when we were having a confab about this, that nowhere in the question does it say that this person is a lawyer. And so that made me think, well, do different standards apply? If this person is not a lawyer, uh, would I hold them to a different standard? And I guess my instinct is, yes, I do think that lawyers are, you know, officers of the court. Law is, in my view, a honorable profession. I may get laughed to scorn for that, but I still tenaciously hold to that view. But I'm not really sure if my answer is limited to that. You know, even if, assuming that this person is not a lawyer, I think that the ethical position is to notify 
the individual on the other side, uh, simply because the values that are being embodied in the notion that these are honorable professions obtain, I think, just as much here, which is to say, if you're an agent of a corporation, I hope that you believe that you're part of an honorable profession as well. I can understand the lawyer exception here because these gentlemen and gentle ladies are officers of the court. Um, exactly. and, they, and, the, and that they have certain powers, certain responsibilities, must obey certain ethical standards as a professional uh, obligation. But it seems to me that from everything from the stock market to poker to the, to the business of journalism to negotiating for uh, a car and a car loan is rampant with inadvertently, accidentally spilt uh, knowledge that aids one side in a negotiation over the other. And um, my question would be, do ethics require you to be a chump? Poker is a form of war governed by all the usual Geneva Convention protocols, not a game of hopscotch. Likewise, business is war. As long as your methods of intelligence gathering are ethical, you don't wiretap or break into the office of your customer or competitor, you should feel free to use the information that drops into your lap. You should also feel free, if you think it will advance your interests, to inform the people you're negotiating with that they have poor Microsoft Word hygiene. My answer might be a little self-interested because journalists frequently discover useful information in precisely the way that uh, the letter writer describes. The government's been known to release the wrong set of documents to the public or redact FOIA documents in a way that don't completely obliterate the words that uh, were intended to be blocked. And no journalist I know of, even the ultra-ethical uh, among my herd, would instruct the government to turn off the comments function if it was revealing useful information. I think this letter writer is in a struggle between two obligations, or even more. One is being a good employee, as Jack was describing, in this process, if you think business is war, and using the information that came his way to help his company, and on the other hand, using information that the other side had unwittingly provided. For me, in terms of an ethical response, the golden rule seems useful here. What would you have felt was the right thing for the other side to do had the positions been different? It seems to me that, that the letter writer benefited just from reading the comments and that the most ethical thing would be now that this has already proceeded and gone well for his company, certainly the most ethical thing he could do now would be to notify, as Jack said, to call their attention to their Microsoft hygiene problem. I don't know that that is the most ethical thing that one could do, but given that the negotiation has been finished... I think calling their attention to this would be an ethical step forward. May I cross-examine you, Amy? Sure. Uh, what if you had a client and he had a tell? Every time he was lowballing you on a bid, he scratched his nose, and you observe this again and again and again. Or some colleague tells you, your competitor has a tell, he scratches his nose. Would you inform him that he has this horrible tell that is allowing you to beat him in negotiation after negotiation? It seems to me that what I can observe from people's body language is different than somebody sending me information that I would go out of my way to make sure they never received from me. In other words, I feel that there is more of an even playing field in the sense that we all have tells. Everybody does. And some of us are better observers than others. But in this case, it seems to me that... If the letter writer wishes to take the higher ground, which I assume is why he has a concern about ethical behavior, it seems to me that pointing out after the successful conclusion 
that um, they seem to have some problem with their Microsoft Word track change functions. And I don't know that he is obliged to say more than that. I think we have here a three-way split, which is Kenji saying, let us hold the letter writer to the highest standard of an honorable profession, which is to notify the other side immediately, even in the course of the negotiation. Jack saying, business is war, poker is war, and um, you are entitled to make use of any inadvertent information that comes your way, and you have every right to make use of it. I think in a slightly Weasley fashion, I am splitting the difference. And so for me, although I began with the point of view that there was the ethical baby step of informing the other side in the negotiation after the negotiation was complete, it seems to me that that does actually violate the golden rule. And I would certainly want somebody, if I had inadvertently revealed all that material, to let me know. And it seems to me it cannot be a bad thing to establish a higher moral ground for the entire corporate negotiation. So, in fact, I think the most ethical thing is to notify them as soon as it happens. The lesser ethical thing is to notify them afterwards, but they are not likely to thank you for it. I'll let you have that, Amy. Just remember that when we negotiate for a higher salary from the New York Times, I want to take care of Microsoft Word hygiene. Yes, I think that you should. And... To your point, Jack, I mean, even though we have a 2-1 split here, I want to note that there are a lot of lawyers who think that this model rule is terrible. So even within the legal realm, there are many individuals who say that, in part because you have a client, you know, the duty of zealous advocacy requires you to exploit any mistakes an opponent makes that would help their client. That must be the scoundrel bar, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's dive into the next letter about the tricky business of helping others. I lent money to a female friend of mine and my wife's to help her move out and get away from an abusive relationship. It's also a lopsided relationship as far as money and assets. She's the poorer. This is a friend of 20 years, a relationship of five, and the rage-filled behavior towards her was credible. It had been witnessed and felt by myself and by others. Five weeks later, she returns to the relationship and the house. I'm bothered on a number of levels, but am I on shaky ethical or principal grounds to ask for repayment from him? This would be A, to reinforce the consequences of his bad behavior, and B, to put in escrow so that the next time he is threatening, she has funds to escape. All right, here's what I say. If you can get a man who you are sure has anger management issues and is abusive towards his partner to agree to pay you back the money you lent the woman who left him, I am impressed. The consequence of his bad behavior, which you wish to reinforce, doesn't actually seem that onerous. He gets his girlfriend back, and you make an ineffectual demand for money, which he, in fact, does not owe you. The person who owes you the money is your friend. In general, my personal position is that anytime I lend money, I assume inside myself that it is, in fact, a gift and that I am prepared to make it. But if you are worried about what's going to happen next to her, as you say, you are bothered on a number of levels. And so I assume that one of the levels is, oh, my gosh, this friend of mine is living with somebody who is abusive. You might suggest that she keep the money and put it in a bank account in case she ever needs it next time. If she is back with her partner, 
she is probably not going to appreciate you reminding her that there might be a next time, and that could cause a chill in your friendship, which is certainly has some impact on the good and happy life. And I think a generous thing, since she's broke, as you seem to indicate, is not to ask for the money back and to tell her again that you and your wife truly worry for her, that you want her to be happy and healthy, and you are there for her in the future, if indeed you are. Yeah, it's hard for me to improve on that. I agree with you all the way down the line, beginning with the point of ought implies can here, of there's no way that you can say that the man in this relationship should repay you when there's no way he's going to, given everything that we know about him. But I guess one thing I would add there is that it's not just that he won't, it's also that there's an ethical problem with the letter writer inserting himself into the relationship. And the reason that I think that there's a problem there is that, you know, as you were saying, Amy, the loan is to the woman. And so to make the man a part of this transaction that you've had is only to sort of complicate things further. Totally agree with you on the point that whenever you loan money to a friend, especially of this long duration and this closeness, that you really should you know, regard it as a gift. And a simple way to do it might be to say, I will not loan you this money, but I will give you this money, just full stop at the outset. But the place where I might play a little bit of hardball, going back to the fact pattern, uh, is to say, okay, you loan this money to a friend, and then you say, okay, I lent you this money, but I'm going to treat it as a gift. But you might want to say, look, I can't keep doing this over and over again. So please don't expect that I can do this in the future. And if you need help in some other way, let's try to find a different way to help you. Uh, Because I think otherwise, the resentment will build if the expectation on the part of the friend is that they can come back to the letter writer anytime and get a quote unquote loan slash gift. Like the both of you, I'm worried about uh, this whole mixing of one's money into somebody else's love problem. I think that the whole nature of the ethical dilemma is posited around the letter writer's notion that the relationship was abusive, which, uh, you know, strikes an emotional chord in all of us, but not might not be true. Abusive to what um, extent is it? Emotionally abusive? That would describe most of my um, uh, romantic relationships. Is it physically abusive? It doesn't describe me, but that would be, you know, a, a very, very different thing. I, as a part-time ethicist, I'm sort of delighted that the couple has gotten back together. Um, and everybody seems to be overlooking that. Maybe they're in the process of working uh, their problem out. Um, and, you know, I agree with both of you that uh, if, if anybody needs to pay the money back, it's the, uh, the person who was granted the loan. I also do want to just insert that I realize these things are subjective rather than objective, but he does refer, the letter writer does refer to the rage-filled behavior towards her was credible as it had been witnessed and felt by myself and others. I also think that has no bearing on the question of, is it ethical for me to make this guy pay me back money he didn't borrow from me, to which the answer, it seems to me, is always absolutely not. So we're all for one and one for all on this one. I think we are. Three people in perfect agreement. Three money bags down. It is not ethical and it is probably not helpful to ask someone who does not owe you money to pay you back. 
And on to our last question on the slippery slope of plagiarism. At my grad school, we are required to sign a statement to the effect of, we won't plagiarize or cheat. If we see someone cheating, we'll report it, etc. A recent situation made me and my classmates considered what the ethical thing to do is. We have a topic for a group paper that one group member has already written on. She posted her paper to the Google document where we were starting an outline. There was no peer pressure. To my knowledge, she did it on her own. The parts that we did use, we reworded since it was for the same class. Is it ethical to use her paper as a starting point and paraphrase, edit, etc. to fulfill our group paper requirement? Is it cheating? So I think this is the easiest one of the three, for me at least. This is obviously plagiarism. And the tip that this is unethical behavior is that if you need to paraphrase the original paper, that should be a tip that you are not willing to cop to what you're doing, which is using somebody else's work. So it's not ideal that the same paper seems to be assigned over and over again at this school. And so, you know, one of my mantras here is that part of being an ethical person is allowing other people to be ethical. Um, But given that that's the situation which these individuals are in, this behavior by the letter writer is clearly unethical. I agree. And I think the letter writer makes it very clear in exactly that sentence. The parts that we did use, we reworded. I think if they have a group member who did a paper for this class, that paper writer has a lot of knowledge that she can share. They can sit down and have a discussion. The knowledge can be shared. The paper cannot be recycled. Most colleges and universities have explicit policies on plagiarism in their guidebooks uh, or elsewhere, and often lectured it to in freshman year that would automatically rule this out. And I would like to take the letter writer aside and say that the whole point of being asked to write an original paper is so that you learn something beyond how to type faster, that these rules are not designed to make you miserable, but to engage you and make certain that you get value out of the class. If you're copying or paraphrasing someone else's work, you are actually injuring yourself. You're not injuring the person whose copy you lifted. Plagiarism is a self-inflicted wound. And uh, so I think uh, we're one for all and all for one yet again. I think that's right. I think if we consider one of the important parts of ethics to be the good and happy life, exactly as you say, Jack, to plagiarize is to make your life less ethical, less happy, and less good. And I would say that, you know, we're, uh, forgive me, sort of fuddy-duddies with regard to um, we're in an older generation. So I think that when you were talking about Gen Y individuals, uh, this is going to become more and more complicated, you know, in that I think sharing on Google as here or on social media or what have you makes it seem much more like intellectual property is just up in the air. And so I think that things that seem much more black and white to us are are not to individuals who are using uh, different technologies than we did when we were in school. But I nonetheless think that the same rules apply. And that's why I think going back to the values question that as Jack did, is so important because we have to think about what values we're trying to reinforce. And clearly those are being violated regardless of what technology is being used. You make me sound so good, Kenji. I try, Jack. I try. (laughs) And that's it for the ethicists. 
If you'd like to send us your ethical quandary or comment on the show, you can reach us at ethicists at nytimes.com. If you'd like to leave a voicemail question for us to answer on the show, the number is 212-556-7070. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us in iTunes. Our producer is Ann Hepperman, and the music is by the band Broke for Free. For Jack Schaefer and Kenji Yoshino, I'm Amy Bloom. We'll talk to you next week on The Ethicists.